0: This is WJR's Business Biography. Now here's your host, Jeff Sloan. Welcome to Business Biography. Today we're featuring a truly inspirational story of a woman who sets herself on a path to building not only one great business, but several. What is her story and how did she do it? Well, get ready. You're about to be... Dazzled by how it all came together and wowed by her indomitable, I can do this and I will do this spirit to make it happen. Today's featured story is that of Dr. Faraday Bagney, currently president and CEO of her latest business venture, Magnolia by the Lakes. That business based on her own vision for the ultimate in senior living. But there's so much more to this story than just the success of the current business that she's running. You're about to hear how being driven by a great sense of purpose versus being driven simply by the desire to make money fueled her passion and led to her wealth as a byproduct of achieving what she always held as the greatest reason to achieve her pursuits. It was her father that told her, you should live your life with a sense of duty to contribute to society and leave it better than it was before, and that she has been doing her entire career. Before we get into the story of how you achieved your business success, let's take it back to when you began your academic career at Michigan State University.
1: I went to Michigan State University when I was 17 years old and I graduated from that school in 2 years in having bachelor degree in physics and mathematics. After that, I received a scholarship from the University of Pennsylvania, and I was in uh, nuclear physics, received my master's degree, and received my Ph.D. in also in nuclear physics.
0: I want to ask you, why did you select these areas of study? What was driving you at that time, and where did you think you were headed with your career relative to your choices for education?
1: That's a very good question. When I was a child, I remember my uncle, who was a professor, bringing a cup of water and there was a top and he wound up the top and put it in the water. And then he asked me, where do you think that energy I put to wind the top go? And that was the first lesson I learned in physics And from then on, I was very, very much interested in solving the problems with simple solutions. It was a force for me. And it essentially, if you are a curious person and something interests you, and at that time, I didn't know energy, conversion of energy, force, any of that. Uh, I was like seven, eight years old. And when you try to figure out what happened, it stays with you. That curiosity stays with you, and it blooms. It becomes a major force in your life. I should mention, which is really a funny reason, is that when I went to Michigan State, I didn't speak English. And because of that, I started taking courses that were all formulas, such as math, physics, chemistry, and I also took a lot of German and French because Americans that spoke English didn't know French, so we were on equal footing together. So that was the other reason why I piled up on all these other courses that many Americans don't take. But I must tell you, my most difficult course (laughs) throughout Michigan State was Psychology 101, because every one of those words, I had to translate and find out what it meant, because I didn't know the, the words, and I couldn't read and understand what the book was all about. So it was a difficult one.
0: What were you like back then? Were you ambitious? Were you motivated? Were you going somewhere? Or was it not so designed?
1: Well. Before I came to Michigan State, my father had my IQ tested and it was 163. And he told me that I was exceptional and I should take an exceptional path in life and contribute to the society because there aren't that many people like me. And I had a duty to the society or to whoever meets me to make sure that I contribute to the betterment of their lives, and that's what I listen to my father, and every aspect of my life, I try to emulate what he wanted me to be, and hopefully, I have made him happy.
0: Well, I'm sure you have. With your accomplishments, any parent would be incredibly proud of achievements like those achieved in your life starting with your educational achievements, earning both a master's degree and a PhD in nuclear physics as well.
1: I got master's and PhD, PhD in nuclear physics from the University of Pennsylvania. And then I went to a postdoctoral residency in medical radiological physics at Thomas Jefferson University.
0: We've only just begun to hear the story of Dr. Faraday Bagney, accomplished and successful in every aspect of her life, living with passion and executing with intention and focus, and just a little ambition underpinning it all as well. One of the more fascinating features here on Business Biography, we're telling the story of Dr. Faraday Bagney, headed to a quick break. Back with more in a minute, right here. Stick with us. Welcome back to WJR's Business Biography with your host, Jeff Slow. Welcome back to Business Biography, continuing now with today's featured entrepreneurial success story. A story not only of determination and perseverance, but one in which a woman enters a largely male-dominated world and, well, dominates, achieving at the highest levels in each of her pursuits. How did she do it? Continuing now with our story of Dr. Faraday Bagney. Tell us about how you persevered so well as a woman in such a male-oriented environment.
1: I was at the University of Pennsylvania. I was the only female, and the rest of the students from undergraduate all the way through graduate school were all males. And in those days, they looked down at a woman that was taking a path in a man's world. So... I did two things. One was I tried to be as feminine as possible. And that's why to this day I wear high heels and I never wear pants. I wear skirts and suits. And my advisor, Dr. Zurmula, who was uh, from Switzerland, he mentioned that I should apply for a scholarship or for a residency program in a new field called the radiological sciences which was the application of radiation to the healing art such as diagnostic radiology that uses x-rays ct scanners radiation therapy etc and this was with nih had to my knowledge had only one residency a scholarship that they would award, and he had me apply for it. My name is Faraday, and probably to this state, people don't know that it is male or female. So when I applied, they believed that I was a male from the University of Pennsylvania with good academic background, with good grades, and they gave me that. And once they found out that I am a female, It was amazing how they wanted to take it away, but they couldn't take it away. But in any case, I went for my interview at Thomas Jefferson University. And at that time, I had my first son. It was like three days old. I had just came out of the hospital and I had my interview. So I went there. The first question they ask is, do you plan on having any children, or do you have any children? And with all the courage and seriousness that I could muster, I said, I have one son. Now, my baby was three days old. And so they allowed me to sign up at Thomas Jefferson University. And it was really funny that there's secretaries there, in those days, they weren't called assistants, they were called secretaries. I would take my baby there, my baby boy, Stefan, that now he's an attorney, a partner at Clark Hill law firm. I would take him to the physics department and the secretaries would take care of him. They loved him and he was really a good boy.
0: So let me ask you, were your studies at the University of Pennsylvania undertaken as part of a career path, or did you view this more as general education?
1: At the University of Pennsylvania, of course, I was doing my research, and I knew my career path, that I wanted to become a radiological physicist. And there were quite a few areas that I could have gone, and I chose to be in mainly in radiation oncology. It's the application of radiation to the healing art.
0: And at some point, your focus shifted from getting a really great education to beginning to point toward using that education to ultimately end up in business. And among other things, your career pursuit took you to the state of Michigan.
1: I had done anything that I could possibly do in that field, in academic life. And I just couldn't see myself for being a professor teaching the same thing for the next 30 or more years. So at that time, when I was at the Medical College of Ohio, the medical center, I had another radiation oncologist that also was from Michigan. And we discussed about having a privately owned radiation oncology facility. We decided that we would set up a freestanding radiation therapy facility that would bring all the advantages of the medical setting, medical school setting, as well as the advantages of privately owned, put together, freestanding. So we looked around in Michigan and we wanted to do it in Michigan,
0: And then this really marked the beginning of your business career.
1: It was in the late 80s. And we looked around and St. Joseph Mercy Hospital, and they didn't have radiation therapy. So we approached them and we asked them to give us a piece of their property. They saw what we had done, what I had done in terms of the equipment, the quality assurance, my credentials and the fact that we never had any accidents and everything was very very well run and so we built our radiation therapy and that was called michigan institute of radiation oncology or miro m-i-r-o
0: and so indeed dr bagney was in business with her first radiation oncology unit but that was just the beginning you're listening to Business Biography. We're coming back with more of how Dr. Faraday Bagney built the largest privately owned conglomerate of cancer centers in the United States and how that then led to her current business venture known as Magnolia by the Lakes. Welcome back to WJR's Business Biography with your host, Jeff Sloan. Welcome back to Business Biography. Now with her flagship radiation oncology unit up and operational, things were really starting to roll for Dr. Faraday Bagney. What happened next in the growth of her enterprise? Now back to Dr. Bagney to tell us just that.
1: We started thinking and talking and working on this for a long time. And at that time, there was a hospital in Detroit, that was run by the Detroit Medical Center and Mercy Hospital, and they wanted radiation therapy. And they hired us to build and run for them. And in the process of doing all of that, we learned anything and everything we needed for our own. So we then used the learning curve that we reached and the experience we gained to apply to our own clinic and our own radiation oncology facility. But one other aspect of it was that at the time, in order to get the legal aspect of our clinic worked out, dealing with the banks, dealing with the hospitals, writing all the leases, etc., we had hired an attorney. And when we looked at it, it was really very expensive. So I decided that I go to law school and get my own law degree so we would save money. And that's when I went to Wayne State University and I got a law degree. So it all worked
0: out. It did work out indeed. All right. Now, having a law degree is one thing, and I'm sure it was helpful in operating your business. But There are so many aspects to operating a business. Did you have any experience in starting and running a business? Did you have family members that had started and run businesses? Or was this all new to you? Were you flying by the seat of your pants and using your instinct primarily to make it all go?
1: I had little experience and little educational background in managing individuals. However, my experience as a woman in a man's world helped me a great deal to be a good politician, essentially. Being a woman, I'm very detailed oriented. So that helped me a great deal in dealing in society, in being aware. Physics taught me how to be a problem solver. And right now, on a daily basis, I solve small and large problems, maybe about anywhere from 10 to 50 times a day.
0: Of course, every business owner does. I mean, whether they realize it or not. That's correct. So here you were in business. You're an entrepreneur at this point. What was driving you? Did you ever say to yourself things like, I want to hit a home run with my business and become wealthy as a result? Or was there something else driving you?
1: My motivating force was to help people. And I picked a group of people. Obviously, I couldn't help everybody. But as I was growing up, I had a lot of great aunts and great uncles and elderly seniors that I loved. And I learned a lot from their experiences. They would tell me stories. They would tell me about how to deal with life, how to live so that your conscience is clear, and what is the meaning of giving assistance to others. one lesson that I learned was you live a better life and you live a healthier life if you give than if you receive. And that's what I have done all my life. I have picked a segment of the society to assist and help, and that is the seniors. And even in radiation oncology and cancer treatment, where. By the way, I expanded into a huge, the largest conglomerate of privately owned cancer centers in the United States. My motivation was to help seniors and my doctors, my nurses, my technicians, and my cancer centers were truly between life and death for these seniors and thousands and tens of thousands of seniors were assisted and survived because of the efforts that I had put in into my business, if you call it a business. I never thought of it as a business.
0: It is a business. Just you're saying for you, it was a vehicle to achieve other things that were more important to you than making money and making the money for the business was the byproduct of you executing well and giving and focusing on the mission of the business as opposed to the mission being to make money.
1: Yes, definitely. You're absolutely correct on that. I never look to make money. I always look to help individuals. And the money that came was a byproduct, but it's never been because of money.
0: And so because of your values, the way you approach your business and what motivated you, and because of the way you ran it with such an exacting standard and the success you had with your first unit, things really began to take off and grow. Tell us more about how the business then took off and began to really grow.
1: Sure. At the time, and it still is true, the radiation therapy required a certificate of need given by the state, and it was very difficult to get that. Initially, doctors, the radiation certified radiation oncologists and owners of the freestanding Clinics, they didn't require certificate of need, and when I started buying them, I accumulated those certificates of needs to the point that I had eight certificates of need, meaning I could build eight cancer centers in the state of Michigan. It was now about 2005 we were competing to get the radiation management, to build and manage a center somewhere in Macomb County. And at that time, we were sitting in a waiting room. There were different groups, different doctors, different individuals were going and giving their presentations. And we were sitting there, and we saw another group of people out of town. It turned out that it was the president and the chief financial officer, their legal representative, etc., of a publicly traded company called 21st Century Oncology. As we were talking, they were telling us that they are a national company, publicly owned, and their headquarter is in Fort Myer, Florida, and they intend to expand into different states because as a public company, you have to continue to expand. You can't just sit still. So, we chat and I just laughed and said that, well, you can't come to Michigan. And they asked, why not? I said, because you have to have a certificate of need. So well, we get one and said, no. And the president was Dr. Dosoretz, And I said, well, no, you can't because they don't give it to you. So well, we'll buy one. And no, the hospital doesn't sell their radiation therapy facility or cancer center to anybody. And the rest of them are with me. And they just looked at each other, and that was the end of it. Well, about a month later, I received a phone call from an attorney in New York saying that he represented their firm, represented this uh, 21st century oncology, and they would like to purchase us.
0: And so it goes when you work hard, work smart, work with passion. Good things happen, and sometimes really good things happen, like a bigger company in your field calling and telling you that they want to buy your company. The ultimate dream of any entrepreneur wanting to found, grow, and successfully exit one day from that company. When we come back, we'll learn what happened next. Did she sell the company that she started and grew to a major success? We'll find out. You're listening to the success story of entrepreneur Dr. Faraday Bagney right here on Business Biography. Headed to a quick break. Back with more in a minute. Welcome back to WJR's Business Biography with your host, Jeff Sloan. Welcome back to Business Biography. Today featuring the truly amazing story of Dr. Faraday Bagney, who built a successful business from the ground up. And at this point in our story, receives that magic phone call from a major company in her field indicating that they now want to buy the business that she built. And so, Dr. Bagney, you get this phone call, the phone call that every aspiring entrepreneur dreams of. That is the call to buy your company and in the process, deliver you with financial rewards one can only dream of. Well, what did you do?
1: At that time, you know, I didn't have any inclination that I was going to sell. So I thanked him, my second son, Alex. He was an accountant at Deloitte & Touche, and I called and laughed and said, Alex, guess what happened? They called me and they want to buy me out. He said, let me talk with our investment banking director and see what he says. So he called Mr. Simon Gisby, who was the director, the head of the investment banking in New York. And then Mr. Gisby called me back and and I said, "I, I don't have any inclination of selling. He said, you may not have any inclination, but someday you might. I said, okay. So he contacted the uh, 21st century oncology attorney. And I never forget this. It is now maybe end of 2005, beginning of 2006. And at that time, my son, Stefan, was an attorney. So there's a day that we are supposed to meet 21st century oncology. And they had this law firm, had this giant conference room. And here it was myself, my son, Stefan, who was a junior attorney, one attorney from their law firm, and Simon Gisby, who came with a dolly full of thick books about each one of them, about one inch thick, come in. And there are four of us. We go in and sit on one side of the table. And honestly, this is not an exaggeration. If you recall the old IBM guys that they all wore black suit, white shirt, red ties, and briefcases. The door opens and 10 men, all the same way, dressed in dark suit, white shirt, red or reddish ties, and briefcases, they come and go sit on the other side. And I'm looking at... And I'm saying to myself, what is going on? And Simon pulls out this prospectus, this book, one inch thick book, and gives me one and gives one to each one of these individuals. And they all start looking. And for the first time, I start flipping through the pages and say, me, I own all of this. And I'm you know, kicking my son, Stefan, and he's looking at me as if to say, mom, you did all of this? So anyway, I look at the very end and I say, oh my gosh, the worth of this business I have, I couldn't believe it. And I look at Simon as if, are you crazy? I couldn't possibly be that wealthy. So anyway, we did the due diligence and then They came with a number that I just couldn't refuse. So end of November 2007, when the market was really good, I sold all of my practice to 21st century oncology.
0: And so what does a person who has this kind of success and newfound wealth do? Play golf, maybe? Buy a yacht? Sail into the sunset? Not this entrepreneur, as we're about to hear from Dr. Bagney. You pursue your next entrepreneurial venture.
1: So I didn't have anything to do at the time. I have quite a bit of money and I have plenty of funds. Okay. I love seniors because from my background, from treating cancer patients. So I love doing something for seniors. So what do I do? And I can't have anything in medical field. So I decided at the time that maybe I should go into senior living area. And at that time, I started doing my research. That's where physics again comes, the discipline of doing research for something unknown. And because I had a condo in Florida, I would go there quite often, and there we had meetings and luncheon with the rest of the people there. And I noticed majority of them, almost all of them, actually, were seniors. And a lot of them were from the Midwest. And a lot of those Midwesterners were from Michigan. Actually, several of them from Bloomfield Hills. So I, I would ask them, what are you doing here? Because they kept on complaining, I miss my grandkids. I miss my family. I miss Christmas snow and Christmas trees. So I would ask them, then why are you here? So they say, look at this beautiful weather. Look at the beautiful Gulf. We, we were on the Gulf of Mexico and the sunset. I thought, okay, then if I'm going to build a senior community, senior living community it has to have number one beautiful water sunset so what do i find such a place so my son alex when whenever he came from school or from his work we would go around looking around and he's my younger son And we looked around and we saw this little town of 3,000 people called Kego Harbor. Wow. First of all, it has a good name, Harbor. Yeah. Everybody knows it's by the water. It sits in between two lakes, Cass Lake, which is the largest and deepest lake in Southeast Michigan, and Sylvan Lake, which is a beautiful lake. And... um, full of swans and small boats, really pretty. So we looked at Birmingham, we looked at Bloomfield Hills, Troy, everyone. There are no lakes, there's no sunset. And we looked and saw Cass Lake has a beautiful sunset. So we decided Kigo Harbor is the place. And at the time, the mayor of the city, which they had a council of five or six individuals and they would rotate becoming a mayor on a yearly basis. And at the time he was the mayor, he was a very influential person, Mayor Sid Rubin, extremely progressive individual, business oriented. And we knew him through my son, Stefan. So I met with him and I explained that I would like to build this very high-end community, senior living community in Kigo Harbor, but there is no place to build it. So he said, well, just start buying piece by piece, but don't tell anybody about it. No, we didn't. So we had purchased small areas of the building that we needed, and we built the first building that was a three-story. I put my office there, the third floor, And the second and first floor were all dirt because we didn't know what we were going to put in. And that's the Mercury building. And then we started planning. We hired an architect and we started developing everything on the paper with the mayor, Sid Rubin. Great, great guy. And everything was there. We knew exactly what we wanted to do except we didn't have the land. Meanwhile, I started traveling all over the country. First, in Michigan, I looked at every major senior living. I didn't like it. And the standard was, if I would need to live in a senior community, it should satisfy me. I'm a neat freak. I, I really love plants. I love beautiful settings. It has to be beautiful. Okay. So I went to California, a lot of Florida senior living facilities, Chicago, Milwaukee, all over. And from those, I learned what I should put in, did my research, what should Magnolia by the lakes, it didn't have a name at the time, what should my senior living look like? I wanted to be as a resort like Florida. I didn't like the Bostonian antique and dark and heavy furniture. I wanted to be light and airy as if you are in a resort in Florida.
0: And so you built Magnolia by the Lakes to be that exact vision you had in your mind.
1: It took from 2007 that I decided to build the senior living facilities until when we finished The last one, which was Magnolia South Independent, it took from end of 2007 until end of 2017. It was a 10-year project. And we managed it and we're very, very happy to have Magnolia by the Lakes, independent and assisted senior resort. Magnolia South is a five-story building, 90 townhomes, They are from one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom penthouses, 19 townhomes per floor. Majority of them overlook the lake and have beautiful views of either Cass or Sylvan Lake. We have a courtyard, which is a nine-hole mini-golf, and a lot of individuals play the mini-golf. And then we have the Magnolia North Facility, which is the Magnolia North Assisted Living. As I mentioned, it has 20 studios. They are assisted living, so they do not have full kitchen. In the Magnolia South, independent living, they have full kitchen. Even the one bedrooms are huge. They have high, tall ceilings, wood floor, granite counters, crown moldings beautiful appliances, really, really very beautiful settings. And they can choose to eat in multiple restaurants or cook at their own. We also have a care office that in case they need to stay at their own, they can just stay forever. It's a continuum of life. On the other hand, if they want to move to assisted living, they can do so in the assisted living. And there we also have care provided.
0: Are there key business tenets that are always central to how you operate your businesses? And if so, maybe highlight a few of those for us.
1: You have to treat people right. My staff, they all are trained to smile, to leave their problems at home, to treat anyone that comes in with respect and dignity. And that should be The true meaning of client is always right. And another factor is to be loyal. I am a very loyal person, and I believe loyalty goes both ways. A lot of people expect loyalty from their staff, their employees, their clients, but they don't give that loyalty. I do. We say at Magnolia, and the same thing was at our cancer centers, that it's a family. I have two families, my own family, which we are very, very close. I have two sons, two in laws seven grandkids, and my professional family, which are my residents, my staff, and I am loyal, dedicated, and loving to both. And on top of that, you have to be appreciative of what you are given. I am extremely appreciative to be a citizen of the United States and to be loyal to this country and to be appreciative of the opportunities that the United States of America has given me. And those are the attributes you have to have in order to be successful whether you're a male, female, or anything else that you want to be. And what do you think your
0: father would say to you today regarding your most incredible level of success?
1: If my father was here, what he would say to me is, daughter, you did good, but you have a long way to go yet. I know in my heart that I need to do a great deal more
0: One of the great hallmarks of superior entrepreneurs is always feeling like there's a great deal more to do, such as the case with the way Dr. Bagney views her future, and no doubt there's more success to come. You've been listening to the amazing success story of Dr. Faraday Bagney. Thank you for joining us here on Business Biography. Thanks for listening to Business Biography on the Great Voice of the Great Lakes, 760
1: WJR.